0: with me in my foul life
1: another one coming at you the foul life podcast brought to you by our friends at Gerber Gerber gear stay sharp America carry a blade wherever you go be safe with it I rely on them, toolboxes, blind bags, backpacks, everywhere we go in our duck blinds, our boats, our ATVs, our trucks. We carry Gerber with us. You never know when you're going to need to build a duck blind with one of their hatchets or saws or cut some of the meat off of a mallard or a goose or whatever you're getting ready to throw down on a wild game recipe that night. Depend on Gerber to get you taken care of. Thank you, Gerber, for believing in the culture of the American outdoorsman, the hunter, the fisher, the conservationist, and... The provider. I'm excited as heck for today's episode. I have one of the best all-around human beings to ever be part of the hunting industry, the hunting culture. Specifically, he's a duck caller, a world champion duck caller, and he's also a husband, a father. He is a pretty much the face of Rich and Tone TV, RNTV. You guys have seen it on the Sportsman's Channel. You've heard him on several other podcasts. You cannot go, go to bed at night without thinking of one of the coolest sayings in the duck calling industry of all time. And if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Jim Ronquest, my brother, how are you?
0: Man, I'm great, Cad. Thank you so much. Appreciate that kind intro. Most appreciated
1: buddy i appreciate everything you've done for this industry but i wanted to ask you starting off is stuttgart arkansas where you make your home and your living is it really the duck capital of the world jim Ronquest?
0: man that's a great question that's a really good one to lead off um you can answer that two ways if you answered that based on the marketing And all that goes on here with the world championship duck calling contest since 1935, um, or 36, excuse me, other than the year of the pandemic 2020 had to put an asterisk by 2020. And based on that marketing scheme and the talk about it, yes. And if you think about it from a duck hunting perspective, a green timber duck hunting perspective, still yes because of all the opportunity you look at mattered harvest numbers as a state we still lead mattered harvest numbers as the state does across the entire country however that being said there are probably places in the country where the ducks per man per day average could be better than here so um, from an overall perspective yes but there's probably some better duck hunting in other places
1: You mentioned something there that raises a question to me, Jimbo, is if you come out to the Pacific Flyway, which I know you have, it's a 105-day season, seven ducks Mm -hmm. per man per day, and seven of those ducks, all seven of those ducks in your strap can be be a green-headed mallard. You take that and you cut the season almost in half with a 60-day season with a limit that is only four mallards per man. How in the heck does a place like Arkansas drive that many harvest numbers? I've always said this, Jimbo, and this is kind of a two-sided thought and question, but I don't think there's anywhere else in the world that has people actually land on an airstrip in an airplane, private or commercial, to go chase ducks. Now, I know that there's awesome duck hunting in California, but there's not a lot of people landing in Sacramento to go to the Butte Sink. That's that's a local deal or a Bay Area deal. There's not a lot of people even landing in Baltimore, or Washington, D.C. to hunt, the, you know, the historic Chesapeake Bay anymore because of the the numbers are down. You can only kill one candidate goose. The mallard hunting really isn't there. But think about that way. Four ducks per day. And you guys are killing mm-hmm. more mallard ducks than any other state in the country. Is it residents and a ton of non-residents doing it? Or are you guys just so mad at them that y'all are after them that hard?
0: It's, it's residents and non-residents alike. Um, you know, last year, we're, the last few years we've been selling roughly statewide, a hundred thousand, hundred, two thousand duck stamps per year, which is incredible. Um, compared to other States and our hunting is, even though we had probably our lowest mattered harvest ever last year, I, we, we, I guarantee we still lead the country. Um, and it would probably be somewhere around 400,000, I think preliminary four to 500,000 matter ducks, not including all the other ducks. So our hunting's maintained enough that we're still doing pretty well and people still want to come here. I talked to folks this past week, that was part of our Call of palooza event we had here at the shop. And they were like, man, you know, we like to come out here duck hunting. And y'all get worried if we don't have a good hunt, but we get to see more ducks than we get to see almost anywhere else we go. Um now, granted, there are other hot spots around the country. You mentioned the Pacific Flyway. Um you know, there's a lot of great hunting in all parts of the country, but folks just still want to come here.
1: The way that I describe it, and I've been lucky enough to get to experience what you're talking about, both the green timber and, more importantly to me, the culture of what being in somewhere like the Rich and Tone Shop is or Max Prairie Wings or the, or the Cajun or any of the, the landmarks or seeing the stage down on Main Street, which we'll get into – I've had unbelievable mallard duck hunting success on the Snake River. I've had it on the Missouri mm. River, the Mississippi, all over the country. We, You know how Idaho mm. is and eastern Washington is and Montana. Man, it's on, mean, my,
0: on my bucket list right there.
1: Yeah. it's, But never will you go into a place like Boise, Idaho or Hagerman or – Or anywhere around where the the really good mallard hunting is in Wyoming or, you know, around the the Yellowstone River of Montana and pull into a cafe and have every trucker car – I've seen cars with boats on them in Arkansas – it's just the culture of the duck hunter down there. There's something to be said about every man and woman and kids has their blue jeans tucked into their mud boots. They got their duck call lanyard on their flannel after the hunts over with the duck call put into their little pocket. Like it was a a pocket protector for your pencil in college. Um, you don't see this in other places in the country, Jim, But I'm sure that you you would attest to that. You've been to Los Banos. You've been all over Chico. You've been all over California with with the guys out there. There's a lot of good duck hunting in that part of California, but the culture is what I'm chasing these days, and I think that's what brings me back to Arkansas. And, you
0: know, you 100% get it. The the our hunting culture here, not just duck season, but duck season, deer season, turkey season, people are used to it. And it's something I noticed traveling around the country, you mentioned how folks dress. Um, you can be in rural America anywhere, and it's not crazy to see somebody wearing camouflage. That being said, you still get more crazy looks or more comments. If you, you're in central Kansas and you go in a restaurant at 10, 30, 11 o'clock for late breakfast or lunch, and you got camouflage pants and shirt on, tucked in a pair of knee boots, somebody's going to look at you funny. Or somebody's going to say, oh, I can't see you. Or you're invisible. Or, you know, you don't get those comments around here because folks are so used to seeing it. And, and there's something to be said for that.
1: I I think it's the coolest part of of our industry of our coal that, that I always talk to people about one of the main questions, and I'm sure you get asked it a lot is where, where's your favorite place to hunt ducks? And I said, man, I, I've had unbelievable rosy bill hunts in Argentina. I've had unbelievable teal hunts in Texas and all over the country. I've experienced mallard ducks by the thousands in pea fields in Canada, North Dakota, cornfields, right? But If it was my holy grail, if it was my last supper of duck hunting, it would be in Arkansas. It would be in the Grand Prairie. And if I didn't even see a duck, I'd be all right. But just the whole culture of that place and the anticipation, the feeling that you have when you're there, if you leave Little Rock and you cut over and you start getting down into the prairie, there's just this feeling that, man, this is where it's at. This is this is where I'm supposed to be. And I, the first time I ever went was in 1999 for the world championships when our, when our uh, little mutual buddy, John David Stanley blew the light and I won the Nevada state championships, which is a total fluke. But I got to blow in the world championships okay. duck calling contest and when i got down there i never quit going back to i never quit going to arkansas never quit going and that's saying a lot because mm-hmm. if, if 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 you really want to be honest the duck hunting's been average for myself personally the last three seasons on the on the times i chose to be there on the hunts the weather mother mm-hmm. nature might not have cooperated i need sunshine we'll talk about your theories on sunshine in a little bit but i didn't get it a bunch but i still did not want to leave, if that makes sense to you.
0: Yeah, it makes perfectly good sense. You, you know, what you mentioned there is that history. is it, knowing who's been here and, and who's done what they've done. The idea that John Olin used to rent the whole fourth floor of the Rison Hotel for the entire duck season and bring in guests. Um, you know, I get to help out some at the old Winchester Duck Club, Greenbrier it's called. You may have caught that show. And it's cool to read the old guest book and read all the different names and captains of industry has been there and out people highly involved in the outdoor industry, which is important to you and I, along with uh, outdoor riders and military people and and thinking when you're in those woods, you're thinking, and not just those woods, but just using them as an example, who has came here before me. And, And that is truly hallowed ground. And I think a lot of that is because of our interest, not only in what we do, our avocation and our vocation are the same we enjoy waterfowl and duck hunting turkey hunting deer we enjoy it and there's so much of that history that our industry's been built on today this is where a lot of that started And, and that's what makes it cool i think so i agree with you
1: what about the application and the the process of hunting in that area jimbo with with the 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 heritage of the timber First off, tell the audience, please, why you say green timber. What is there a different kind of flooded timber in Arkansas? and what does green timber mean specifically?
0: You bet. Um, so when you, when, when you discuss green timber, or I typically call it woods, is more my preference, but it means it's live living trees. Um, now there's there's also cypress and tupelo break hunting that are live trees. Those are typically swamps that'll stay flooded year round, and it won't hurt them. We talk about green timber. You're talking about the different red oak species of oak trees that can be seasonally flooded and not hurt them. Hopefully, um, that's what we're talking about there. You know uh, what you hear people call pin oak flats, which is truly willow oak or nut all oak cherry bark southern red water oak the different red oak trees are what we're hunting they produce a small acre that ducks love to eat it's jet fuel protein for a matter of duck and they're also good about bugs there's a lot of bugs in here with the leaf litter we're getting into another you know, parts of it but and then there's also could be dead timber duck hunting if uh you know old dead tree reservoir old dead creek you know what we would call it deadening uh, there's some of that too but Typically, you talk about hunting woods, green timber duck hunting, um, there's there's some in all, several different states besides here, but we got the biggest majority of it.
1: Well, let's talk about that timber in two ways. So you can, I love getting educated by it. Your, edu- your knowledge is unbelievable, like to be able to rattle off just that many types of subspecies of red timber, which I think is killer to know that we are hunting red timber, but you call it green timber because it's alive. Well... It- uh,
0: it's not necessarily red timber. It's red oak trees. Red oak trees. red oak you red think oak of trees. oak trees. So think of red oak, and there's different subspecies of red oaks. Different subspecies of red make oaks. A, yes. So it, it's called green timber because it's live. It's green. So it's green. If you cut it, it's going to be full of sap. Um, but the main trees that make it important are different red oak trees.
1: Is it safe to you've say you've always j-
0: heard the term pin oak flat? Honey? Yes. Yep. So pin a pin oaks. oak is. Is a red oak
1: pin oak is a red oak, and like if you look at uh well, I got the feather on this Max prey wing shirt, but there are several t shirts that will have a tree on it. Is that safe to say that that tree on a max shirt is probably a pin oak?
0: I'd have to look at it to see um it's probably what they infer it to be anyway, whether the tree is actually a pin oak or not, I don't know, but I'm sure they infer it to be that
1: what year jim um Was the boom of rice because and where I'm going with this, and I want you to educate the audience on this, but I assume and I visualize at one time in America, if I was in a crop duster flying above the Grand Prairie, it was all trees. Is the reason that there's rice around there now, was that a bunch of those trees were cut out and turned into rice levees and rice fields, but those ducks still were going there. So once they get down there now, they got a lot of buffet and food with the rice, but they still have to find those little slits of timber that still might be there when they were used to it all being timber, right?
0: Kind of, yes. You're you're on the right track. So um, I can't pull it up. I don't want a computer. But the Grand Prairie... Uh, There was a natural prairie here. Um, It was full of lots of moist soil, a lot of upland species. Uh, Prairie chickens were popular at one time on the Grand Prairie because it was prairie, similar to what you might see in the Dakotas, Um, not that big. Um, So as rice production started in the 1900s, once we started gaining rice and it started growing, not that it, the production of rice started getting bigger and bigger. People were, were plowing ground, busting sod, turning the prairie into rice production. As that got to be more and more prevalent, then a bunch of the timber started getting cut. You know, the Grand Prairie was big, but it's been made bigger because of clearing, clearing the woods. So a lot of what the really good private green timber places that are left and the state and federal ground were spared the saw and the plow due to rice they were they were really low stayed wet couldn't do nothing with them so although the prairie was here and it was broke first planted the rice and beans as that commodity started getting to be more prevalent then they started clearing timber to make room for more rice if that makes better sense
1: and when you say more rice it is now one of the leading rice production areas in the world is this fair to say
0: we probably produce more rice uh well i know we do we we produce more rice than anybody in the country now there's other rice production areas california texas south missouri louisiana but we produce more rice than any other state in the country
1: so with all of that rice there educate the audience now jimbo when you mention the small acorn um when you're in timber it's going to be hard for a bird of prey or, you know, per se to mess with a wild duck or even a deer that might be down there trotting around in the low water. Is it all, am I, am I off by saying that I would argue that ducks are going in there to get, you know, to get security and to get safety and to rest during the day? Are they actually leaving the? and and, and talk about this though, that they're in the rice fields at night which, you know, most places they fly back to a big water where there's not a lot of food. Then they come back to the food source in the morning. In Arkansas, they're eating in the rice overnight and returning to this green timber in the morning, which is where Jim and all of his friends are waiting for them, (laughs) standing up against a tree, which we'll get into. But you're telling me that they're actually going in there to eat more after they just got done eating all night in the rice?
0: Yes, I am. It depends on what they're looking for, right? So kind of like... I hate to use a human analogy here, but take, you know, some days you want a ribeye, some days you want a piece of chicken, you know, and for a duck, it's not that simple. There's physiological needs that they need at different times of the year. So they may be in a flooded rice field, uh, you know, eating waste grain and might be coming back to the woods to rest, which they do. So let me back up with this. Ducks use woods for different reasons. So um, they'll come in there for, pair bond isolation late in the year come in there to eat um, whether it be acorns or in january when they start bugging water will get low and the hens they need a lot of protein so they'll be chasing bugs uh you know you've heard of duck eat a june bug well man they'll eat a bug before quick gets ready they're coming in there and they're sifting through that leaf litter for a bug bloom we get a january warm-up there after those bugs and then they come in there for temperature you know uh temperate matters, you know, there's kind of a natural insulation to the woods. Um, And to your point, you mentioned avian predators. So they're coming to use the woods for a lot of things, for cover, food, pair bond isolation, and to get in out of the elements. They'll also go into rice fields to bug, um, waste grain, flooded corn. That's like everybody else. They're going to go eat corn. Soybeans, you'll see them a lot of times here late in the year. Shallow water Soybean fields. There's a little tuber that starts coming up in there, and they're one they're after the bugs, and two the little tubes. So they use a variety of different habitats during the course of the season and a day, as necessary. So they may leave the fields, come to the woods in the morning, hang out in the woods the afternoon, and go back to the fields at night. But the more of that buffet you can offer them, the more diverse of a buffet you have, the better off you're gonna. The better you'll take care of your ducks. If that makes any
1: sense. Makes total sense. And you start talking about being able to manage your land. You've mentioned moist soil in the Grand Prairie. Now and then you mentioned you know private slits of woods. You like you talk about the Winchester Club. There's several thousand acres of private woods in Arkansas. There are still great public opportunities there. What is the secret, Jimbo, of becoming? or let's say getting to where they're at, because if you're in the Winchester woods, you're in the Winchester woods. You might have a couple different blinds, but is it different than being in the Biomeda when, and make sure that I'm pronouncing that right. Jimbo, please correct me if I'm wrong it No, you did.
0: Um,
1: are you waiting for the new water? Are you trying to get to where the new water is? Is that where you're going to find the mallards? My point in asking you this, Jim, is how do you scout woods? Because you can put binoculars mm-hmm. up and see ducks over woods, but it's hard to get mm-hmm. in a boat and actually go in there. There's laws around it. There's, you know, legal means of getting in there at different times of the days. Do you is it mm-hmm. just pretty much Jimbo? Once they're in the woods, they're in the woods and you can't beat them out of there with the fly swatter?
0: Yeah. Yes and no. I've I've seen by a meter like that. Um, if you didn't kill them in the first 30 minutes, you wasn't going to get them because they going to get down where, where people weren't, but you, you, you kind of, it, it's a wide open answer. So if, if we got to, if you hunt river system and water's coming up, you hunt that feathered edge, you hunt that new water. Um, they always looking for one bugs and acorns and keep in mind that all puddle duck species feed, typically in six inches of water or less. Sometimes they'll go a little deeper, but a mallard duck, just think for conversation purposes, feeds in six inches of water or less. And acorns, good acorns don't float. If you're in the woods somewhere and you see acorns floating on the water, those those aren't good ones, they're, they're hollow. Um, so they're gonna be looking for that feathered edge for bugs and acorns. But now that being said, some of my best hunts ever was in waist deep water, late morning, duck's coming back from the feed and you're finishing big bunches and they're coming to, to in loafing water. Now loafing water may be that deep or it may be waist deep, but they're using that particular area that time of day for cover. Um, and you know, they may later, in the year they may split off in pairs pair bond isolation thing. But typically if I'm scouting fresh woods, I just want to get in the woods and watch. Um, if I'm going somewhere new, Uh, You know, of course, there's people, sometimes there's people everywhere, but just get out of the way and get somewhere and watch and listen and see where ducks are going. And then I want to try to get under them. So on our state and federal ground here, there's times, uh, you, you, you can't get into the refuge until a certain time or a WMA to a certain time. And you typically have to be out by a certain time. But That being said, you can pretty much do what you want to do. Um, some areas may have horsepower restrictions, but you can come and go as you please. Uh, but just get in there and look, you know, and try not to get on top of somebody and just pay attention. And if you kind of got an idea of what the weather's doing, or if you got a fresh push of ducks or where they may be going, you can go to that part of the woods or, or try to hedge your bet. Hey, I think it's going to be good over here. Let's go try this hole. And if it ain't good, go try another one. But whether I'm duck hunting or turkey hunting or goose hunting, wherever I'm at, I'm hunting today for tomorrow. Sure, I want to have a good hunt today, but I'm paying attention. Today for tomorrow. So if we, even if we get them tomorrow, we may need to move. So I want to see what's going on today thinking, hey, we need to move over there. I
1: love lots that. Of,
0: lot, man, lots of gray areas.
1: Well, it's like being a coach. I mean, you're watching the the team hit today. When you know you got a different pitcher coming on tomorrow, how are you going to approach the strike zone tomorrow, or vice versa? If you know that well, who's pitching tomorrow, you're telling your team, "Hey, you know, watch, you know, get ready for that kind of deal." With a scouting report, kind of that's what we're talking about as a scouting report. But there's a couple questions that's that come to mind when I when I listen to you talk. You mentioned different times of the day that you've enjoyed success. If you don't get them in the first thirty minutes, they're going to go get down is one of your quotes the other one was i've had some of my best hunting you know later on in mid morning or later morning in way steep water when they're leaving the feed and coming back to loaf loafing is more of a loaf loaf pond doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sleep there they're just going to loaf around like a sunday afternoon watching football like a guy that's eating too much in his sweatpants um <laughs> when you think about this question jimbo how do you answer this with being without me sounding like I'm trying to judge people, because I'm not, so please don't take it that way. But I love the beauty and the majesty of Mallard Ducks. I love, there's nothing prettier in the world, in my opinion, including the Eiffel Tower, the Coliseum in Italy, than looking up through flooded green timber in Arkansas, America, and seeing a blue sky with Mallard Ducks breaking down when I'm listening to Jim on the Mondo. Nothing prettier in the world. So oh, that, that, I'm with you why do people get in there early and shoot them in the dark jimbo you can only kill four drakes or four mallards and two of them can be hens you're taking a chance of not killing green when they're all the same color silhouetted against that black background is it fair to say that a lot of guys get in there and cut into them too early because they they're they're they're, they've been scouting they've been in boat races off the public boat ramps now they start coming in there and it's like. I don't understand that part of the hunt when you could wait a little bit and let them get some color on it. And I hope I don't sound like I'm being judgmental because I'm truly not.
0: No, I, I understand your question, Holy, and and I will say this: it's a um, it's it's a it's a multifaceted answer. So, for one, if you're talking about on public ground and people shoot them early, you try to get them when while you can. If you got them, get them. And I'll admit, man, sometimes you can't tell what you're shooting at. You don't know what it is. And there's a mentality around duck hunting in this part of the world that goes by how quick you get them. You know, now it's not a race by any means. I, I want to enjoy the morning. You know, I want to enjoy the sun coming up. That being said, there's a lot of people, the sooner they get done, the better it is, right? That's that's how their perception. Um, other times, especially if you're hunting uh, – Keeping on the – sounds like a lot of public ground guys, they want to get there, they want to get them quick, they found them, and they want to get out of there, you know, or get there and shoot them quick and hang out all day. Private ground-wise, if you're managing – they just tried to text me, the manager of Greenbrier. So if you're managing that, um, you want to manage your pressure too, so pressure management is such that you wanna shoot them quick, get out of there, let the ducks have it the rest of the day. That's the mentality. Um, That being said, like you mentioned, man, old morning sun getting up, breaking over top of them woods and high bunch of mallards breaking out of a pretty blue sky, it's, man, them late morning hunts are great. Uh, But again, back on private ground, you're not managing that pressure. You wanna let them ducks get in there and use it and be comfortable. the public ground guys just in a hurry. You know, if you got them, you better get them because somebody may line up and shoot your swings or whatever else. You shoot your ducks while you can. But in a perfect world, I, I just assume not start till about seven and sun be up good and be, you know, enjoy the morning. Enjoy what God gives us. You know, mm-hmm. get out there and enjoy nature. Don't be in a hurry. It ain't got to be a race. Amen.
1: Which um, I'm going to
0: add two. Go ahead.
1: No, you go ahead. If you're adding to it, go ahead, Jimbo.
0: Yeah, I was going to add to that. Uh, just, just kind of goes along with what you just said. So, one of my, one of my deals that kind of gets me a little bit um, is you hear people. There's a lot of people out there that I think when they shoot it, when they want to shoot a duck, they'd like to see that duck blow up in a fireball and a big poof of smoke and hit the. And that bothers me. And I, I hear the term. We grind it, you know, it's a grind or we grind it every day. You know, man, if it's, if it's that hard on you, man, find (laughs) something else to do, go (laughs) find another hobby. If, If, if you don't enjoy it, if it's a grind to you to go duck hunting, take up golf, tennis, bass fishing, deer hunting. I don't know, but I enjoy it. I get the opportunity to do something I truly love to do as a part of my vocation. I'm not saying I've not been tired back when I was guiding every day or you're on a long road trip and you're videoing. I'm not saying that you don't get tired, but man, we ain't fighting war. We're, we're, we're not packing an 80 pound pack and somebody shooting at us and us shooting back. It's supposed to be fun. So enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy mother nature, enjoy finishing them ducks, right? Breaking a high bunch of ducks out of a December blue sky, watch them throw them angel wings out and them big pretty orange feet. That's what it's about. Sure, we all like the smell, the smell of burn powder and a heavy duck strap, but there's more to it than that.
1: I, I couldn't agree, I couldn't say it better. Um, it's poetic, is in agreement, would you agree, Jimbo, that there's different stages of maturity in this process? And if you had a chance to sit down with a classroom full of 18 to 25 year old die hard go get em mallard duck hunters that I mean, their license plate says get 'em, and they got the Rich and Tone sticker on the on the back window, and they got they got their jacket on and their mud boots ready. What do you say to him? Do you say, hey, look, there is going to be this mentality of... I mean, our good friend Tony Vandemore made the quote, piles make smiles, famous. Um, hashtag piles make smiles. But is it the quicker that somebody can learn that there's more to this than piles that make smiles? Is that important to you to be able to get that across or is it to each their own and let them all learn it on their own because personally Jimbo did you go through that phase in your duck hunting career to where you needed to stack them up
0: probably you know probably um at the same time I was fortunate to grow up in an outdoor family and parents that enjoyed the outdoors and although you know we wanted to get them you know dad was always big about pointing out this kind of tree or that kind of tree or you know stopping to watch things happen um and learning about it so i always had kind of a i had an appreciation for that to a point but yeah there was a point in my life where you know you know maybe one limit wasn't enough for the day you know i'm i'm not going to say that but i'd like to also go back and tell these guys or tell me at that time look enjoy it for what it is remember that that it's a privilege, not a right. We may not always have them and be sure to take it all in. Again, it's not a race, you know, Uh, what's that was saying? It's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, so enjoy that for, for what it is. And I tell those guys that, look, I know you're in a hurry. I know you want to get them. I know you want to stay bloody and sling blood and guts everywhere. I get it, but understand that the good Lord put them there for us to enjoy and we got to take care of them. If we don't take care of that resource, it's not going to take care of us. So I want to tell guys to appreciate it for what it is. Enjoy your hunt, play the game, right? Remember, it's not about how far you shoot them or how fast your boat goes. Um, yeah, sure. You have an old single Drake staying on top of the trees and he's not finishing, but just circling. If you square him up straight up, take him out. I'm okay with that. But don't shoot every bunch, you know, two treetops high. You know, try to finish them. Try to play the game for what it is. Um, I'm not going to try to tell everybody how to hunt or or how to do their thing because there's a lot of old-timers hunting in the woods. It was shooting them high. That's what they enjoyed, shooting them over the trees. Um, I like to try to talk them into giving up. And and I think that's what the game has became. Um, We just haven't got there yet. You know, I think there's a lot of guys haven't got there yet, if that makes sense. Total and I sense. think like you and I, in, in what we do, we need to try to help pass that around, pass that down to them. You know, uh, whether it be on a TV show or a podcast or sometimes what folks will see on one of our 30-minute episodes, it's, probably, it's 22 minutes of footage that's a three- or four-day hunt piled into 22 minutes. It looks like it happens really quick, but it's not always like that. You take the good with the bad.
1: And you talk about... It's not a race. There's no prime really in an athlete's life. If you consider yourself an athlete as a duck hunter, which I do. Okay. We might not look like athletes, but you, there's, there's a lot of different things that go into success of hunting of visualization and preparation and mental focus and being able to be consistent with a shotgun and breathing techniques. Everything you learn in athletics, if you apply it to duck hunting, you can do it. I don't like the word competition coming into it, but there is a such thing as, an athlete is probably going to be out of baseball by the time he's 40. A female swimmer is probably going to be done by the time she's 32, 34 competing for world gold. I know there's certain cases that are, you know, that that don't fit into those classifications and they might, you might have somebody like Randy Couture win the UFC heavyweight title at 46. Who knows? But in duck hunting, Jimbo, is it safe to say that you're, you're about 50? I've been watching R TV for literally I think 15 seasons now, this means that you were in your early thirties when you guys started this TV part of it. And I know that you've been hunting ducks before that. Do you still love it as much as you did? Do you still consider yourself in your prime? Can you get in there and mix it up with the best of them? Jim Ronquest? are you going to be in the boat and be able to access these woods and know your routes and know what trees to stand behind dependent on the sun and the shade and the shadows you're going to, you're it's, it, you're in your prime right now. This is not, you can't get in a hurry because even when you start to get into those fifties and sixties and seventies, I know many guys that would wear a lot of people out with their knowledge and their abilities in the duckwoods.
0: Man. I know some guys in their mid to late sixties that getting it done, you know, for sure. Um, now I, you start off about the competition. Now, I'm not a competitive hunter. And a lot of public ground in this part of the world's gotten competitive. You know, who gets the hole first? Who has the fastest boat? And, and that's unfortunate. Although I get y- certain places you want to be. And some of these places, some of these old ancestral holes are just that. They're ancestral. And that's where people want to be. They want to be there at first light. And I get that. So I, I don't like the people competition aspect, but there's a lot of folks do. Um, I don't mind it, but I don't want to get up there and mix it up with folks, you know, I don't, I, it's not a competition, but a lot of folks, again, they want to figure out, Hey, I want to beat Jimbo and them here. I want to get in front of these guys or whatever. That's not me. I, my competition is between me and them. Can I talk them into giving up? Can I get myself positioned where they want to be? Cause there's only two places you can kill them. One's where they're at and the other one is someplace they don't mind coming to. So you got to find one of those two spots. Now then you got the people aspect. And again, I'm not out there competing against other duck hunters. I'm trying to finish ducks. So you might say that's competitive if two groups are calling at them, but I don't want to be that close to somebody where that matters. So it's between me and the ducks. Um, So in that respect, yeah, I still can get out there and and do all right. Now I don't, I'm not much for sleeping in a boat all night anymore. Um, I kind of like a warm bed, but still getting around pretty good anyway
1: and do you think that <clears throat> as far as i understand the the human body but as far as your mind goes and your ability to picture a duck hunt and then execute a duck hunt it doesn't get old though right you're still excited today as you ever were
0: oh man yeah i didn't finish that part of your question but yes um I look forward to duck season just like everybody else does. Um, fortunately, we get to start sooner. Um, and, man, I can be on the road and be coming up opening day here at home and think, man, what's going on at home? I can't wait to get back, see what's going on. Or if it's, uh, say, you felt we just got a good push at ducks and we're fixing to have some good weather, um, just being able to know, it, hey, it might be good, but we're going to have a – have a Northwest wind at 15 in the morning, sun's going to shine, water's coming up. Um, I'll run the hole, meet y'all in the woods, you know, whatever. I I still look forward to that. I certainly look forward to that.
1: When you start thinking about Arkansas, um, I could practice my duck calling where I sit right now. And I'm going to be, I'd say, man, I sound pretty good. And then when I get to Arkansas, every eight-year-old girl and boy would mop me up, like literally, it is amazing how many good duck callers come out of this area from Jonesboro down the Grand Prairie all the way over to Little Rock. Um, it's amazing. All the way down the Louisiana line, there's been good duck callers out of Louisiana. Don't get me wrong. Even Iowa had some. You know, there's been oh, yeah. me, me and, you know, several from the state of Iowa. But Arkansas is the land of the duck callers, in my opinion. And the reason that I think this Jimbo, and you tell me if I, if I'm onto something or not, but I feel like the duck hunting in the duck hunting now in Arkansas is way more audio based and driven than somewhere where you got a huge spread out on the Missouri river and they can see it from a mile away as they approach. It's hard to see those decoys in that dark timber until they're right down over them. But those ducks, in my opinion, I know that there's a lot of hereditary or ancestral holes in the area, but I feel that the reason that duck callers are so good in the state of Arkansas is because if you don't sound like a duck, you're not going to kill them from the time you're 12 until the time you retire at 70 <laughs> years old. They're coming to ducky mallard sounds and the guys that have created those big rafts and calling and getting after them. It, I think that's why duck calling's so good there. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, And, you know, um, you're definitely on the right track. I'll add, I'll add, add to that. Um, And I even, you know, I've been a past world champion duck caller and been the contest world's been good to me. Um, The best duck call that being said, the very best duck callers I've ever heard have just been duck hunters. I'm not saying not all of them have been – there have been some really good contest guys, too. But to your point, they're just really good callers of ducks. They're really good at blowing a duck hog, really good at reading ducks. And a lot of it comes from growing up in the woods because it is more audio. You know, trolling, we call that trolling. Uh, Say you and I are hunting and it's, you know, up in the morning and slowed down, we get to blowing – uh, back and forth, we call that trolling, just blowing loud. My buddies and I would do that for about five minutes, and then we'll stop. And more times than not, there'll be some ducks come sailing across to you. You know, coming looking, uh, coming to that sound. So, uh, yes, you're one hundred percent correct.
1: Is it is it visual at all, or do you need decoys oh, yeah. in the trees? Do you need decoys in the well,
0: trees? Man, I've had some big hunts without them. No doubt. But it all it all depends on how big a hole you're hunting. If you're hunting a great big like a logging deck that's really big, you know, where they piled up logs and it's you can all, like I think of landing a helicopter big. Um yes, yeah, a big spread of decoys works there just like any place else you'd use them. Uh, if you're just hunting a blowdown, two decoys on a jerk cord's probably plenty. You know, just something put some movement on the water. Um we did some drone footage this year of a bunch of ducks in the woods late when leaves are off the trees or my buddies that count. You'd be surprised when the leaves are off the trees, how well you can see in those woods. And what you see first is that water movement. You see that water movement and you see why a jerk core is so important, but you key off that water movement. And then once you start looking, you start seeing ducks pretty easy. Them, uh, them black stripes down them great drakes back and then that gray on each side of it, man, that jumps. That jumps, so you, it's more visual than you probably think it is.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm starting to learn from your answer. Is um, I guess you know the drone footage that I've used. Maybe we've been too high. Do you think it has to do with something at the distance
0: the duck is up in the sky? As they descend yeah, more, figure. they're going to see a
1: little bit better.
0: Well, even even heights. You take you take you've flown a lot. Um, you know, once you get above the trees. You see pretty good. You know, you can see down in them pretty good, especially once the leaves get off the trees, you know, mid-December here. So you can see through there pretty dang well. And them woods are open. You know, you think how open they are. Man, you can see a long way through the woods. And you take water rippling, and you put a duck, you know, traveling trading trading ducks pretty high traveling. They uh, They got a good vantage point. You know, you think about being up on top of a roof looking down how much better your vision is so yeah they can they, they can see in there pretty good and they you, see a water movement hit on the call it, it all kind of comes together
1: jimbo do you wish with your management knowledge of of timber holes and duck property that you could invent a tree that never lost its leaves would you rather hunt with trees with leaves on them all the time
0: mm, man that's a good one i never thought about that um you know some of the prettiest hunts are you know early when when the leaves are still on the trees man that's just cool looking um just all that combination but i now i mean I, I don't necessarily think i would want leaves on the trees you can hide better you know if it's a hiding deal yes it's more it, trees get naked you, it's hard to stay hidden sometimes especially if it's cloudy but um no nah, not necessarily i mean it'd be great if you did but then the trees got to be able to do its yearly thing too so
1: was I was, ta- I, was see- I was I was referring mainly to the hide it's just so much easier to hide underneath that canopy and oh, get them tight
0: yes yes 100 percent when you talked about you
1: made reference to a jerkstring. you're also very known in my year since about I remember the day like it was yesterday but I don't remember the location but the year was 2005 it was an Avery outdoors waterfowlers kind of round table and um, team waterfowl you you kind of coined this deal that I've always referred back to in my duck hunting career, which I think is so underrated with the jerk string and the ability to create the Jim quest chocolate milk effect. You were the first one that ever told me you got to get that water looking like chocolate milk and as I mm-hmm. got into duck hunting more I started to see that ducks never quit moving. Even when they're sleeping they're they're you know, kicking their feet a little bit to stay you know to stay balanced unless they're up on dry land, but when they're in the water they're flapping their wings, they're moving their feet, they're dunking their head underneath it. Those sediments are always getting stirred up. Why mm-hmm. is it important? Now go back to what you just said from that vantage point when a duck's looking down there the darker and the murkier and the muddier the water is more realistic from that vantage point of a bird's eye view.
0: Man, there's, there's several things there, Chad. Um, one, if it's shallow water, if you, again, back to flying, you can see where ducks have been using, especially in a shallow flooded field where ducks or geese have been at, you can see the edge where they quit using. I think that's something they key on. They, they key on that line. Um, Sometimes you're going to hunt places where ducks can't keep it muddy, but you do. Um, And here's where you're getting a problem hunting in the woods, standing against a tree. It's not as bad early in the season when leaves are on the trees. It's not near as bad when the sun's shining. But you get late in the year and you're standing on the tree, there'll be a mud ring. Or even if you're hunting a buck brush hole or whatever it may be, if you're not in a blind, if you're standing out there where you stand at, you're going to make, there's going to you you can't be still either, right? You're always moving your feet. So there's going to be mud around you um, and where everybody's standing. There's a ring of mud out here in the middle of the hole. It's clear where the decoys are. That doesn't make sense to a duck. I think around here, when ducks get pressured a lot on public ground, I think they key on that. They Oh crap. We are about to get shot at. So I, I think that's part of it there. It's a concealment issue. Um, it's also, I think ducks key on that knowing there's been ducks in there feeding they're eating they're doing whatever um that looks natural it's not clear and you, you take that really clear water um i think them ducks key off that like a lot of times hunting out west or nebraska i hadn't been i, I think we, we was on we was in colorado a few years ago on the arkansas river and we had a pile of ducks but they wouldn't finish man they'd, they'd line up just right they'd start to get in they'd pick up and slide off and i think I've been trying to figure out to this day what it was. And the best I can figure, it was that clear water, shallow water. They could see the strings, see the weights, see whatever. They were keying off the decoy, something off the decoy was not being natural. So back to hunting around here, you want to keep your water muddy. You know, if it's water's muddy, ducks use it. You get the water clear up in the woods, a lot of times they'll quit using it. Now, there's so many variables. I could be here all day talking about variables. So if you're hunting, current in a river, you know, moving water, that's going to carry all them sediments past you. If you're in a a backwater scenario, water's going to be pretty still. You can keep that water muddy. Uh, And ducks use all of it. You just got to make it look and sound as natural as you can. First thing is you got to either be where they've been using every day or someplace they don't mind coming to
1: don't mind coming to that makes so much sense though now to be pictured myself as a group of ducks a flock of mallards looking down and seeing those muddy rings around the trees and they're like well that's where the ducks are and then they're keying in on that and then that's how they're spotting you too because you got all these human beings standing there you know not maybe not necessarily moving or knowing when to move at the right times or i mean that that makes so much sense that you're giving them that visual of Five or six to eight rings of different hunters around these trees. That's crazy to think like that, but it makes total sense.
0: Yeah, if you, you if you can keep everything around you muddy, that's good. And, and where you get the problem is you know, that sediment settles. So if you're having a good morning, it's better because you know people are moving, picking up ducks, going after ducks, or dogs working, or whatever. You're keeping things stirred up. It gets slow. You stand there. You're shooting a bull. You're drinking a cup of coffee somebody broke out a stick of deer sausage and then it then only places muddy is right where you're standing and out where the decoys are where you want your ducks to light, it's clear and clean so that looks unnatural to them and i think they key on that
1: before i move on to the last part of our podcast with some competition questions give me the jim wrong quest playbook and in that playbook there's a chapter on here's what i want the weather to look like this is the way I want the sky. This is what I want the temperature. This is what time of year I want it to be. Give me an idea of the perfect duck hunting day for Jim Ronquest.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Um, somewhere during the holidays between Christmas and New Year's, um, mid-20s, all the fields froze, good water in the bottoms, wake up to a starry sky and a southwest wind, about 10 maybe going to 15 during the day right after a good cold right after a big cold front
1: now the southwest wind would be my question why the southwest wind in the part of the world are you in arkansas in the timber on this hunt
0: yeah i'm i'm in i'm somewhere in my home turf home why southwest y- wind concealment concealment sun's behind you now y-
1: you you start thinking about that part of duck hunting the sun's going to come up in the east but a lot of people would think that well i want to be on the east side of the hole why would you say to a a new duck hunter get on the southwest side of the hole
0: depends on the size of the hole so you brought up another good point and it's another one of them big variables in duck hunting right so it's a really small spot i just get on the south side of it and that's typically where where i'd stay i wouldn't necessarily go to the southwest side unless it was a really really big gap that i was hunting or there was a natural shoot for that southwest wind um i like a south southwest wind because you get the sun behind you pretty quick you know sun's gonna when it comes up over here in the east you know as it comes around pretty quick you can use them shadows to your advantage and not be looking into it right so um if we're just hunting a gap a small gap and there's a pretty good runway for any kind of a south wind i just look due north um i like that little bit of west in it because it makes them have to come around stuff and it makes you can kind of quarter off of them where they're not looking right at you as much so think of that as a quarter wind so it, it, say as i'm looking at this computer screen to my left is west or looks backwards to you i know um So if it's winds out of the Southwest, it's coming across me like this. I got the sun coming around here. When ducks finish, they're looking out there. So that's kind of my idea of it, you know? Um, but any kind of a South wind, I guess to, to make that a little more general, any kind of a South wind, um, Northwest winds, not bad either. Again, if it's a small enough hole, I still stay off, keep the sun out of my face. If I can, um, Northwest winds tend to lead, to big pushes of ducks also but that south southwest wind you can just use the sun to hide so much better
1: jimbo you said that you look up and there are stars of the sky but that's not a ducky day from what i've been told all over california louisiana arkansas texas i want a low ceiling i want just i want a stormy day i want it to be gray out because that seems to be the people think is a ducky day when you started going to arkansas when i started going to arkansas i learned about the importance of sunshine and what it does to ducks it they act like mallard ducks when the sun's shining i've learned that from guys like you guys like keith allen christian curtis that say that's a mallard Mm -hmm. ducks day that's when they're going to act ducky or mallardly if you're out in john stevens who we're going to talk about in a second in his daddy's farm or john's farm in the rice field do you still want sunshine, Jim? Can you kill them in a rice field in sunshine, or do you still, or is that when you Go want ahead. that "quote unquote" ducky day of the low ceiling and the storm coming in?
0: You want both, you know. It depends on the time of day you're there. Um, I like sunshine and rice field too. Um, midday, early afternoon hunts with a south wind in the rice field where you can leave that pit open about that far. They don't ever look down in there and see you, and they'll finish up right and tied to that pit. Love it. Um, that being said, early morning big front coming storm coming cold front behind it. Um, yeah, that's fun too. You know, that, that's, that's when you'll want to be in a field, um, maybe even more so in the woods. I don't know, but all of that works, but just sunshine. I hear so many people when I was in the guide business, man, we've been praying for rain ever since we booked the hunt, you know, would be cloudy and nasty. Um, that's not necessarily what I'm looking for ducks will use all those different habitat types in the sun. Now talking to a lot of people in other parts of the country, I get, they want that low ceiling, those big winds because it keeps ducks low keep pushes them to places that they hunt probably. Um, and, and there's times where a light light is wonderful. Um, don't want to hunt in a heavy rain or downpour or thunderstorm, but sometimes a light to moderate rain ducks will start finishing good. You know, it'll, it'll kind of make them pay attention. Um, Snow is another one. Snow and sleet, man, it'll make them, make them stupid. But day in, day out, it's just hard to beat that sunshine. Now, an extended high-pressure system, bright moon. You know them days where you can still see the moon at 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the, during the day? Um, for whatever reason, when that scenario happens, it's tough. You, you, you'll get them early, but sometimes you don't get them late, mid-morning. And it just makes, makes a difference.
1: High-pressure systems.
0: Here's something I've noticed the past couple of years. Uh, my buddy Jake Latondris at Prairie Rock Outfitters and I were just talking about this the other day. Deer hunters, especially talking about the red moon and the super moon, I uh, yeah, wonder if you've noticed it out west, like all the cool spots you hunt, in Idaho and Washington and all that. You notice ducks becoming more nocturnal even when they're not heavily pressured in that time frame?
1: Yep,
0: 100%. I, I think there's something to that moon super moon deal. Jake and I was talking this past year. If you, I don't know where you were mid December when that sucker hit, but they had a pile of ducks out on the plat. I mean, they had a good month. He said, look, it's what we got, but they're absolutely not doing nothing till dark and they're not doing anything during the day. They're shooting handful here and there, but they were on the struggle bus. And a lot of other people were too. North Missouri had some tough times, you know, key areas of the country where a lot of good duck hunting was having some tough times and people are saying it's pressure people are saying it's um old ducks and i think that's a part of it we haven't had a good hatch in a couple of years but i wonder for something to that moon phase changing ducks and I, you know i've called myself paying attention for a long time most hunters observe things like that but i I don't know. It just seems like they've gotten worse and I can't put my finger on it. E- even in places that aren't pressured. I get it around here or places uh, right out of St. Louis, Missouri, t- near the confluence of the Mississippi-Missouri River. You know, There's some old, old, old-time duck clubs there. There's a lot of pressure in one spot. I get why those areas ducks get nocturnal. But some of the places like you get to hunt on the snake and you know, Western Nebraska on the plat, there's, there's duck hunters and there's always been duck hunters there, but it's not as heavily pressured as like this part of the world. And I wonder why they're getting so nocturnal.
1: Well, I saw it. I remember exactly where I was when, when the phase hit that you're talking about. And we were in the same position with geese as well with, we had a huge influx of specs and we were on them. I mean, they were, they were in a, in a position to where we could get on them daily, you know, and get good flocks finishing, and they just quit they quit working at sun you know during the day when there was the hours where the sun where the hunters were out there there were not coming out until i'm talking five minutes after legal shooting hours and you would see huge groups of specs mm-hmm. going into the the flooded rice. Right. you know it was t- kind of that time where they were getting ready to transition from the wet rice into the dry rice and they were mm-hmm. coming they were coming out and comfortable as heck and i was thinking man they're going to feed fast tonight no we would stop and listen to them and it would be pitch black and they would be out there in those rice fields feeding like there was no tomorrow so they can navigate no problem when that moon is in that phase oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Think about you. Man, I can, best time run, if I've got a long boat ride up the river and it's a full moon, I turn the lights off because I can see better. Yeah, you know, I can see what's on the water better either. Um, and I I don't know if it's a vision thing or if it's just, you know, something to do with that moon phase. Those moon calendars messes it up. Excuse me. I'm looking down. I got to return a text to you. You're fine. Uh, uh, uh,
1: I know that business doesn't stop for Jim Quest. life doesn't stop when you start thinking about this is kind of a two-sided question Jimbo because I know that you've made a lot of friends in this industry and I also know that you have hunted in a lot of different locations in this country and Canada other places probably but you also do hold the place where you sit right now of the Grand Prairie of Arkansas very sacred Mm -hmm. if you had it your way Would you stop flooded corn north of you, all places? Is it a normal and traditional farming practice? And why is it even an argument and always kind of where the finger gets pointed when duck seasons don't go the way that locals in Louisiana and Arkansas and other places in that region think that the duck season should be going? Because do you agree that it's kind of the one that gets the finger pointed out at the fastest right now?
0: Oh, yeah. and Yes, it does. And, and it's it's unwarranted. You know, people have been flooding corn for ducks for a long time. There wasn't no change in regulations or anything. Now, you can't go mow it down and flood it and hunt over it, but you can hunt over standing, flooding corn. And ducks use it for sure. But uh, I'll answer that with uh, – so I've got two buddies in the commercial hunting business in the Central Flyway. One's in Nebraska. The other one's in Kansas. And they talk all the time. And the one in Kansas gives the one in Nebraska a hard time about, man, give me your duck. How many flooded cornfields do you see in Nebraska?
1: Have I seen?
0: Very, I've never yeah, seen one, I don't think. I hadn't even, either, and I've traveled it a good bit. So the, the, everybody wants to point fingers at, at food or they're planting food or feeding them or or whatnot. Um, that's not the issue, Um I see how people think it's the issue. And I can understand where, you know, people here look at Missouri, which holds a lot of ducks, always has held a lot of ducks. Um, but there's a lot of other factors in there too. It's not just food. Uh, you know, if you think about that, moist soil will feed more ducks longer than corn will. It's not saying they won't wear a cornfield out for hot foods. I mean, gosh, it's like Snickers bars, you know, we all love them, you know. They they want those carbs, but they need that other stuff also. They need those moist soil areas. They need acorns, you know. I've killed ducks in Missouri on small water, full of acorns, where they'd hit the water and they have walked up on dry ground and eat acorns. So, it, as people try to increase habitat, we're helping the ducks out. I think a lot of it the past few years goes back to climate, and I don't want to be a. Um, the global warming guy cheerleader either i, I don't know from some kind of crazy long cycle or truly is global warming but whatever it is things have changed um so i don't think it's fair to point it at flooded corn no
1: but in in reality what my question you would you made reference earlier about how you could go on forever on variables this is a discussion that that could be talked about for weeks and weeks with several oh, different individuals sitting around a big boardroom right
0: and look here how many different opinions you going to get you know so many <laughs> it, it'd be amazing and, and you know what you and i say and do is just what we see uh, but but i don't think it's fair to point it at flooding corn or habitat management uh, you know the better job you can do on habitat is is good for ducks period um I think if weather patterns would come back around, I think you'd see different migrations.
1: There's a well before I ask that, I want to ask one more question. Please just tell me just real quick your opinion on Tony Vandemore, the 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 McCauley's habitat flats, and how awesome have a place have they built in the last fifteen years? And how cool was it to see this come into fruition as a vision to an implicate to, you know, implementing it and executing this plan that they had and what it's turned out to be today? How unbelievable has Habitat Flats become, Jimbo?
0: Oh, it's pretty cool, man. And, and, you know, of course, being friends with Aaron and Tony, being up there in the early days, you know, and seeing it now, um, it's really cool. Um, The Habitat is excellent. They do a great job managing. Um, it's just cool to go see it. And, and that whole area up there is, is another kind of hot spot here. It's kind of become one of my second favorite areas in the country to hunt um, because there is a lot of diversity. You know, you, you, they don't have the big tracts of woods like we have here, but the, the, there are woods up there. Used, ducks used to hit those woods, they cleared long time ago but they'll hit those little ponds up in the woods and you get a woods-like feeling experience they're really good they've done tony and ira and aaron and dan also they've done a great job on taking pressure off their off their food providing refuge and rest areas and hunting learning the way ducks are traveling and hunting areas that they can put more pressure on and stay underneath ducks back to earlier when i said there's two places you can kill them Ones where they don't mind coming to or another place is right where they're at. Say they're, they're feeding in a field, and you know they're feeding that field, and you're there every morning. Well, that puts a lot of pressure on them. If you're hunting in a spot they don't mind coming to, and as long as you're underneath them and you can talk them into giving up, you put more pressure on those areas. You can hunt those ducks more. Now, you can shift that line if you're not careful, but you put more pressure on them. And they've done a great job setting up, hunting the, the little ponds in the woods around the rest areas in different parts of that area up there. Just done a fantastic job putting it all together.
1: love it. I get to go there this year. The rumor has it. The rumor has Whoa, it.: Oh good.: The rumor Very good. All, the good rumor the room Thank you, Jim but the rumor also has it that I don't know if people are going to take me serious on this, but I, the rumor has it that the governor of South Dakota has made contact with Jim Ronquest to create a Mount Rushmore of competition duck collars and a Mount Rushmore of hunting duck collars in the state of Arkansas. Rumor has it. Don't know if this is true or not. Don't know if you've ever talked to the governor of our fine state of South Dakota, but Jimbo. I would like to. <laughs> Me too. Who is going on the Mount Rushmore of competition duck collars? And I'm talking Main Street duck collars of the World Championships held in Stuttgart every Thanksgiving weekend who's on that of all time who is on jim Ronquest's mount rushmore of competition duck callers it's main street stuttgart style world championship not meat calling not live duck competition duck callers who is on that mount rushmore
0: cool okay before i answer that question i got a comment to um miss christie noem governor of south dakota um I will go on record with this publicly that I t- even told my wife, my wife always told me if George Strait come around and she was gone, um, <laughs> all past time. Huh? Yeah. If, if Christy if Christy no comes around, and wants me to take her duck hunting. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm <going with> her. <laughs> I bet um, you she'd take you how, up on it. I don't know how in the world you even picked her out of that. Almost like you had inside information. She's my um, favorite.
1: She's my favorite.
0: She is awesome, man. But that- she was, amazing. um, she, and Daniel, my you you probably know Daniel, my good friend, almost like a son. Um, hang on a second. But uh, he said she was awesome.
1: She seems like she would be a freaking blast to hunt with.
0: Oh, I think so. And she's pretty. She likes to hunt. She likes the outdoors.
1: Mm-hmm. She just
0: seems like a pretty cool gal. Um, and I like the way she thinks.
1: Me too.
0: Um, but that's. That's another my Mount Rushmore of contest callers. Golly, dang! That's a tough one.
1: Well, I can kind of, I can. I've always had questions just, about that to you damn. because you you have to compete against them. But well, there's, there's, there's got to be there's well you did it one time. But like, let's take John for example. Is he the best of all time, or is or is he make your Mount Rushmore?
0: Oh, yes, he certainly makes my Mount Rushmore. more. Um, but there's several of those guys and there's differences in them. You know, you take some of the three-timers, you know, for sure you got to put John Stevens, Trey Crawford on there. Um, then I, then for the next two, it starts getting tough, man, because there's several good ones that, that are deserving. You know, I can think of more than four people deserving to be there for a variety of reasons, you know, um, man, it'd be tough. You know, you'd be hard not to put Barney Califf up there. Um, even though Bernie Boyle, unfortunately is no longer with us, you know, not everybody liked Bernie's sound, but Bernie Boyle, wherever you went, you had better pull your boots on. Cause he, he had something about the way he blew scored with everybody. People liked him. Um, and it wasn't, super ducky it wasn't super anything except that it flowed very well and it scored well everywhere he went um so you, you know you could argue him uh of course i said barney barney Califf. even though come from a very different philosophical contest calling background as john did you can't help if you listen to barney when he was right when he won in 99 I second he got me by two points or a point. Um, and when I want to listen back. I thought, man, if I've done this a little better, my timing. but when you listen to Barney, it's very creative. You tell he's a duck hunter. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to come back around to your question, but there's something there that, that deserves a mention from me. There's a lot of contest callers that are very mechanical. To me, the truly great ones are the ones that you can tell they're duck hunters. You can hear them working ducks in their routine. You can Even though it's Main Street, you can still hear them working a bunch of ducks in a routine. Some guys can't get that across. Um, And John and I have talked about about that several times. I can't put my finger on what it is, but there's a feel, a sound of something you get that you can tell that that person's calling ducks and not just blowing a routine. So... That comes back to my Mount Rushmore. The folks who would be on my Mount Rushmore would be people that had that ability.
1: Okay. So what was John's ability? If you broke down his routine that made him sound like you knew he was working ducks. And obviously that's probably in the woods. Cause that's where John Stevens has mainly hunted his whole life. But did he have that? Or was John Stevens considered a technical competition caller?
0: He, he, he was one that walked the line pretty much, but you can tell John was a duck hunter, but John, very technical because John's very creative. Um, you know, you think all the stuff around R and the tap room, John's a very creative individual. So part of put him putting together a contest routine was his creativity along with his duck hunting. So, uh, I think a place you put it is you hear it in a hail call, you hear it in his comeback and his feed and how he changes the flow up. He's not full wide open, super fast all the way through. He slows down, he backs off, doesn't try to be super loud all the way through, you know, paints a picture, you know, lets off the, and that's the idea of the routine, right? The fifth thing of the five things you score upon in a main street contest is hail call, feed call, comeback call. Lonesome Henry making call and the fifth thing is the overall routine, which is typically what everybody scores on. You don't write down a score for each one of those parts. You got to keep them in your mind. Each part is equal. However, how you put it together, I think wins, but you got to keep what you have to keep in there. Right. But John had an ability to paint that picture. You know, and there's a lot of guys that just, they wide open from start to finish and, and they don't back off the call. And I, I think showing that finesse goes a long way. Trey Crawford was excellent at it. Barney was excellent at it. Um, Man, there's some, you know, Bernie, although Bernie was, he he just had a feel and a flow that people liked. Um,
1: So if you had to wake up tomorrow morning and you're competing in the champion of champions, you guys are all in that prime time of your calling career. It comes down to the finals and Jim Ronquest is in the finals. There's a call off. Who do you want it to be? I know that you could beat anybody on any given day, but who would you have the most confidence in securing this champion of champions championship victory? You have John. <laughs> Ste- you have to choose from John Stevens, Trey Crawford, John Stevens, Trey Crawford, or Brad Allen. You haven't mentioned Brad Allen yet, but Brad Allen has won the world several times. What made three, he- times. three times was is he technical? And which one of those three would you feel the most confidence in raising that trophy after the judges made their final decision?
0: Oh man, that's that that's a, that's that's almost a loaded question right there, bro. That almost gets you're not going to
1: be you're not going to be able to go to lunch in Arkansas for a while, Jimbo.
0: Y- yeah, that's a tough one right there, bud. <laughs> um, man, that's almost unfair. That's like got to throw somebody under the bus on that. Uh, well, who can you beat you John Stevens?
1: It? Have you beat John Stevens before?
0: I have. Yes. There you go. Yes. Um, a couple U.S. Open trophies. Um, for sure.
1: Wow, what an um, accomplishment! I I feel like like John is one of the, is on the Mount Rushmore for sure. I feel like John's oh, got to be there
0: most most definitely. I mean, not not even a question about it. Uh, him him and Trey for sure. Um, oh, I, I guess in Brad, man, I did a podcast with Brad last year, and he gave me the greatest compliment, and he said that even when he wasn't using Archival. He said when, when I was blown good, he said that the thoughts were, and this was probably one of the finest compliments I've ever gotten from other contest guys is that uh, humbled me. He said, man, you know, one time you could ask anybody who they who they thought the best was, and they, they asked me. They mentioned me. I said, well, I never thought that, but I appreciate it. But that was very kind of him to say so. And Brad has such a unique sound. You'd have to have your boots pulled on pretty good and have your judges beat him because he had, you might put Brad on that Mount Rushmore too because he wanted three back to back and he's so much power, you know, just unbelievable power on top. Um, My stronger point would have been on the bottom and that's the only thing I think I could get him if I was in my prime and still on top of it and still practiced up. Whereas Trey and John, and I would have been more similar in the bottom, it'd been harder to separate from. Um but it'd been tough. It'd be tough with any of them guys, man, I just tell you. Um gosh, I don't know. I get I guess because of that, I, I would think I might have a little more bottom than to to offset being close on top, maybe. But that's a stretch, man. Brad coming in here and slap me in the head in a minute. But um <laughs> that that's yes i think that's where i'd have to go um that is everybody in their prime on top of their game you know um
1: i'd pay to see it i'd pay to to watch that contest
0: man i don't know if i i'd like to turn back at clock i know that
1: i need to put something like that i I need to put something like that together where the payday is big enough to get you all back in the practice room jimbo a little technical difficulty i guess uh that's small-town America, yeah? Stuttgart, like Wi-Fi, a little issue down there, or what?
0: Man, that's 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 Arkansas. I've been places around the country that are just as rural as we are that have high-speed fiber optic, um, but we don't, although it's coming. It's coming down the highway. So I hope they'll get it at my house eventually.
1: Was it storming there yesterday? I heard there's a bunch of rain, and the rivers are almost out
0: the rivers are all out there's some rain pretty good storms went west of us southwest of us and then they kind of went north and didn't get us we've been lucky uh chance of rain today i think they're talking i got one of the messages on my phone said a chance of severe weather in your area kind of deal so where we
1: left where we left off is um the differences in some of the competition callers when you were
0: yeah we was talking about yeah 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 yeah. i remember
1: now when you were at your peak jim and i know that you're still an unbelievable caller so i don't want to make it sound like you've forgotten how to blow a duck call but when you when you win the worlds do you get nervous at that time in your career still after all the u.s open victories (laughs) the regional victories do you go on to main on main street in stuttgart pretty much your hometown do you get nervous
0: um Yes. I think you, I think you gotta be a little nervous. If it's controlled, it's even better. Um, the nerves and adrenaline give you a little extra something, you know, sometimes, especially if you can control, it. um, that being said, I remember the first time I blew in the world. This is pretty funny. <clears throat> I wasn't a bit nervous at all. Cause I knew they was going to use my rear end for the broom to sweep up the stage with after the contest. Right. So I'm blowing long air. And all of a sudden I realized, say, Hey man, I'm blowing what I want to blow. I think I'm doing pretty good. As soon as I thought I was doing pretty good, my knees went to jelly and I squawked and uh, after contest, (laughs) first round, I got kicked out. Butch come found me, took that another finger and got my chest. And if you wouldn't squawk, you know, and he gave me a pretty good first rate butt chewing right then. Um, but after that, for a while, I got nervous. When I started realizing I could be competitive, then I got nervous.
1: That makes total sense to me because once you have the confidence that you're in the game, then those nerves start to kick in a little bit because you know that you've made it. You know that you 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 you're in the game, so you're kind of prepared to compete whereas before like when i would go to stuttgart i knew dang well when i got off the plane in little rock that i would be getting right back on that plane with no trophy no check nothing except maybe the welcoming package right a funny story about me blowing in the worlds was my first time um i was on deck and john stevens was the caller before me and if anybody knows anything about competition calling um i'm standing out there and i you know it raises the game to where those judges are going to hear that routine and how solid the world champion john stevens is and then i'm going to get up there and sound like probably like an immature green wing teal and get laughed (laughs) off the stage where um the stakes are high right like he he goes out there and the judges are like oh there's some good callers in this contest then they hear me and they're like that's not one of them where it's if i would have been on my a game like if i was a good duck caller competitively i could have scored well if i would have matched up to John because he's scoring really well the judges would have scored me somewhere in there so like if Jim Ronquest or Trey Crawford or somebody scores them you know or follows John Stevens they have a chance to get a pretty good score right is that how is that your mindset
0: yeah I think that's right I, I think if you follow a good caller and blow good um, they're going to kind of carry you help carry you along even if they even they may have been technically a little better you know maybe if you listen to him in a third round or a call-off, you might separate them by a point. But, man, if it's a first round and you're following John and he blows clean and you blow clean, you're probably going to score within a point of it.
1: Yeah, as opposed to having not a – like, if you're following me, if Jim Ronquest is following me – in the first round, the judges might be like, well, wait a minute, you know, like we not, we, we're we going to put him somewhere right here in the middle and because we know that there's going to be – we heard the worst. <laughs> Jim might exactly. be in the middle, and now there might be somebody even better than what Jim just did.
0: Exactly. And that's why, you know, in a contest, whether it be a duck calling contest, goose calling, turkey calling, it doesn't matter. The luck of that draw, where you fall in line and who you bow before, in front of and behind makes a difference, makes a difference, especially in the first round. Um, that said, everybody's worried about going first. And I don't remember my numbers in the world the year I won, but I do remember some regionals that I won blowing first in the third round and being nervous about that. But if it's the third round and you come out there and you, you unleash the hounds and blow good, and clean, everybody's got to match up to you. And at that point, it's pretty, it, it changes things up. It changes the uh, dynamic a little bit.
1: So, where does that leave you, Jim Ronquest, in your calling career? You have not won the champion of champions yet, I don't believe. Is that mm-hmm. is that an option? Will you get back on the practice train to compete in that?
0: You know, I think that everybody's asking me that. Everybody asked me that last year. And then with COVID, you got to put the asterisks on 2020 because of they didn't have the wings of the prayer festival. So we'll basically have the 2020 champion of champions this year. And everybody's asking that. And I haven't made up my mind yet. Um, I still like to blow duck calls. Um, I enjoy it. I don't know if I, if I can get the mindset to train that hard, you know, and I know it sounds funny to people who may be listening to this and, think man it's blowing a duck call what do you mean train i mean practice you know it's not like you're necessarily lifting weights but it helps to do a bunch of walking it helps to blow a lot and get you get things back and then start dialing in you know um start working it out starting to build a routine starting to or blow what you used to blow whatever it may be there's i've been out of it long enough it would take a minute to get started again whereas if you're blowing, if you, if you want a regional in February and you blow some, well, you, you come right back around pretty quick, but it would take a minute for me to get my timing back and get all that going again. I'm um, not making excuses, but that's part of it. You know, it's, your timing's got to be right. You got to put it together and build it And but it's fun, right? So might be a good reason to not drink so much and hang out and shop at night and practice. it
1: this is kind of where my questions were leading before we get into that last comment you made if you do decide to do this in november of 2021 in stuttgart for the champion of champions which you said was the 2021 with an asterisk because of covid do you use the same call with a new reader and just at least a new cork that you won the world's with or do you and johnny go to the drawing board and cut up a new call and get a brand new piece for you to go on stage with
0: I think if I blow in the champion champions this year, I'm going to go to the drawing board. Um, You know, I might use my old one that I won with to to kind of start getting back in shape, but I think I'd go back to the drawing board and and come up with something, Um, something new, something different, you know, something that fits you, something I like. Um, Might be a good reason for us to do an MVP too.
1: Yeah, there you go. I like that idea. Um, you mentioned the man just a couple minutes ago, pu- putting his finger in your chest. Butch Rickenbach, responsible for so many great duck callers, lessons, mechanics, many hundreds and thousands of hours spent teaching the youth, the teenagers, the young adults, the Jim Ronquest, future world champions, John Stevens. Like I, the, you can, I probably couldn't even name. I know I couldn't name them all. I don't even know if you could. But there's a lot of them. Um,
0: There's a bunch, especially when you start adding in junior, intermediate, and women's world champions that Butch helped coach along. Um, The list is long, very long.
1: Personally, in your heart, Jim Ronquest, do you think that picking up a duck call and practicing and getting that fire and that competitive edge back to compete and already be able to tell me right now on this show, yes, I'm going to compete in November, would it be easier if Butch was sitting in that front room and you knew that he was watching and listening and his boy, his student of the game, his friend, his friend more than anything is going to win the world, the champion of champions this year. Would it be
0: easier for you? Yes. Yes, it would. He was such a good coach, you know, um, and he coached everybody, but he was such a good coach. He understood duck calling on a different level, I think, than a lot of folks do. Now, he was a... He, he was a unique individual as a, as a, as a human, great guy, but unique, but he, he studied duck calling. And he kind of knew, he knew how to coach you into what fit, how you blew, if that makes any sense. He could take somebody and go, ah, well, uh, he don't do that so well, but here's the strong points. So let's build on that and find ways to tie that together. And then he'd give you some ideas and, and you just go do it on your own. So in that sense, Butch was very creative you know, at helping to put together routines and for not being much of a duck hunter at all. Um, he hunted some, we got to take him some, that's pretty fun. But he understood, like I was talking earlier and about telling the difference between some duck callers and you can hear him working ducks in a contest routine, Butch was able to build that in there. For a guy that didn't hunt a lot, and I think he got that by hanging around a lot of really good duck hunters that come in the shop that weren't necessarily contest guys, but were really good duck hunters and duck callers. Um, you know, Ronnie Wright, Trey, you know, Ronnie Wright, Trey Bover, they loved the duck hunting, of course, good callers, and then other people, um, Bud McCullum, uh, just as you said earlier, they got a lot of really good duck callers around um, that are that don't care about a contest, but he knew how to apply that. And, and I think that was a lot of Butch's strengths and kids loved him.
1: Did he, did he have a musical background that he could also go into a musical room and teach somebody how to blow a saxophone or another in, wood driven in wooden reed instrument? No, no, he didn't. He just understood duck calling and the mechanics of yeah. the body and he, the he science did. of the and air. He, of
0: course, chick, you know, of course he, he studied under chick majors, Dixie of duck calls and Miss Sophie. And I, I never knew them, but in talking to people, they kind of said the same thing about them. So that probably passed on to Butch, but you know, some of that, like you mentioned, music instruments, people that play music are very talented. Um, so maybe that's how he applied his musical talents, you know, or whatever. Um, I remember he, he asked me one time, or I asked him one time, I kind of got the blowing. I'd won a few regionals and, made the third round in the world, you know, might've had a top 10 finish, but hadn't bumped over that edge. You know, there's an edge there that I I think you, you kind of push through to get to. And I asked Butch, I said, ask him, I was kind of feeling kind of cocky. I said, man, where do I, where do I fit in? Where, where, where do I, where do I fit? in the whole realm of things. So I got a shot at it. He said, Oh, about 10, 12 more years, you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, what was funny is he wasn't way off the mark there. It took a minute, but, um, he was brutally honest about stuff like that. And, but that's also what drove you. And I remember the old shop, Johnny, me, all of us being in there, you'd go in that back room in the summertime, he turned the air conditioner off and shut the door. And he'd say, all right, don't come out of there till you're soaking wet. And you take a break and try to get you in he'd come in and he'd swatch you with something you know you get to blowing again or you are you just quit and go home but then you'd been shamed so hard you'd never be back in the shop you know um fun stuff like that lots of times
1: lots of fun in that shop you mentioned the shop rich and tone is by far hands down the unanimous undisputed king of duck call brands and companies of all times always will be there will never probably never be a close second And i know that rick has done a great job with echo they have champions i know that you know wendell carlson built some great calls i know that there's several good call makers but nobody has done what rich and tone has done in so many aspects of the game when it comes to marketing quality customer service atmosphere culture the shop is it the same jimbo we know what happened a couple years ago with the fire Mm -hmm. I remember times after the world championships or, or, you know, in August over, you know, over one of Mac's fall fest days, just, you know, camaraderie. And I remember going to the drive up liquor store and buying you a bottle of Jim Beam with my friends and saying, Jimbo, congratulations. And we all signed it for you. We brought it to the shop and you opened it and let us have a drink with you. And, is it the same, Jimbo? I know that we're all getting older. I know that that's the, that's life. <laughs> but is it the mm-hmm. same there? Is it fun? Is the culture the same at Rich and Tone? Because it is easily the best duck hunting duck call brand in the history of the
0: industry. You, you know it is. It's it's changed maybe a little bit, but yeah, the atmosphere is still pretty cool. So we just finished up a deal this past weekend called Call of Palooza, and you you have I don't think you've been here since we got the new part done. I don't know, but we, we've we got a tap room up front and we work with a local brewery out of Little Rock called Flyway Brewing Company. And we've got we've got a beer with our name on it, R&T Flying Duck. Um, now, I don't, don't get me talking about all the different beer varieties. I don't know that very well. There's a Pilsner and there's IPAs and, you know, first, I didn't think i like any of it. You know, I'm your basic savage, redneck, Bud Light guy, but they're actually pretty dang good. Um, so with that, during Call of Palooza, man, we had a dinner. We sold tickets for dinner on Tuesday night. Then they had the Jay Stevens night Wednesday, then a VIP night on Thursday night. And, man, every night people were having a big time. That atmosphere was kind of back that you're talking about. Um, and during hunting season, it gets like that a lot. Um so yeah it's still there it's again it's a little different now that butch is gone and you know it's got a little different feel to it but yeah we still got a pretty cool atmosphere hanging around here so tuesday night we have an event sold out tickets people just drinking some beers having a big time hanging out in the shop all day we'd have to run them out so we could set up the tables and night was a jay stevens dinner um same thing then Thursday night a VIP dinner and people would get here early and they'd hang out up front and have some beers and look at stuff and just have a big time uh to the point you know business still going on back here where I'm at in the offices so um we'd head up there and people would stop you and you'd be tuning duck calls for folks and Pretty fun, pretty good time, and you get that same atmosphere again. It's the world, you know, people coming to the shop, wanting calls tuned, wanting to hang out. Uh, sometimes it's uh, it's most appreciative, but sometimes you're like, man, I've been hunting this morning. We need to dump this foot video. We need to make sure your batteries are charged. We need to tune these calls. And folks, you know, they they just want to come be a part, right? And, and sometimes it's uh, sometimes you, you can get yourself hung up up there and not get everything done you need.
1: I understand that. Um, Let's talk about, before I go into my next question on Jim Ronquist's um, project that you're completing with the governor of South Dakota that we both have a kindness (laughs) for, Um, (laughs) your your good friend and the owner of Rich and Tone Calls, John Stevens, three-time world champion, champion of champions. Does anything s- surprise you anymore with this man of this new call line he's got and what he's doing with, you know, bringing back the old school, the designs, the, he's got, I think, I believe if I remember right, cause I did at one time used to hunt with John over at Russell's and I would get to stay at his house and hunt his farm. And there was, uh, him and his family are just great, great human beings, but he is it on a different level of thinking? In my opinion, I've always told everybody that John Stevens is a genius. And I understand that this word gets thrown around in a lot of different arenas. You could be a musical genius. You could be this, but I believe John's educated college degree in architecture, very, very intelligent on the book smart level, but creativity. um, He's almost, he's a, he stays to himself a lot. But is he a genius in your opinion, Jim Ronquest? And does anything this man does does it continue to blow your mind, or do you just wake up and be like, "Oh, that's just drawn for you?"
0: Some of both, you know some of both um, it, his his creativity is pretty pretty amazing the things he comes up with it, and you go at first you like, "I don't know about that," and then you go, "Oh, that makes good sense." Uh, so really, that part doesn't surprise me at all um. Like you said, he does kind of keep to himself, but uh, sometimes he's better. But that's just, you know, everybody's cut a little different. But John always amazes me in what he's – he comes up with an idea, and he'll try to see it through. So his work ethic is unbelievable. Um, His willingness to get there is what makes him what he is. not back to we talked about his gut calling yesterday not only was he a good duck caller he was a hard worker and he's very creative so that combination beats all talent every time so and the same thing in the business life for working up here ideas he had for the front of the shop the new retail part we call the flying duck tap room and retail retail store um he kind of got out of budget for us but man we had plans of a huge museum a mezzanine upstairs and and I'm like, man, that's pretty dang creative, Johnny. So sometimes he'll come up with stuff, and I'm like, wow, where'd he come up with that at? Other times it's like, man, that's just Johnny. Just know that's just Johnny. Uh, great guy, big hearted. It's it, A lot of people that don't know him, you do, they'll go, man, I was in there today, the I spoke to him, he didn't look at me. or he just kept walking. Man, that's that's Johnny. He's, he's just like that. Once you understand it. He is kind of to himself and he's pretty quiet. That's kind of the way he is. But as you well know, when you get him relaxed around friends, remember all the times we'd cut up at the Oregon waterfowl festival, the best, you know, hanging out at the campground up there. So um, he is pretty amazing individual for sure.
1: If you do come back in, if you get back into fighting, you know, shape, duck calling shape, you talked about that. That's, that's a very cool way to look at it of of processing the body and being able to get your lung capacity up and your cardio and all that. But do you bring John Stevens is as your coach? You know, you're a UFC fighter, Jim Ronquest. He's he's in your corner.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I'd ask him to be anyway. Um, is he a good coach? Especially now.
1: Can he teach a duck call?
0: Yeah. You know, he and I took over doing the kids' clinics before right before Budge passed. You know that Butch done for every year, and John and I get the pleasure to do them. And, and yeah, he's 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 a pretty good teacher. We've discussed how to teach the kids and get stuff out, and he's good with pass. Once you get him, where he'll pass on ideas, he's good about that. Doesn't do it a lot, but he he'll you know he'll tell you you know what's 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 what. It just takes him a minute to get there. Or I think he would if it was him and I sitting up front, nobody around. I was trying to put one together. Um, I think he would be a great coach.
1: I might have to come in if you if you blow in it. I think I got to check my schedule because I know that I'm hunting during Thanksgiving weekend. But man, that'd be awesome to come in there if you do compete in it and watch you win it and go have and then give me an excuse to drive through that. Liquor drive
0: through again. Drive through liquor store. Drive um, through liquor
1: store. I'm, you just got to keep I, me. Text me and let me know if you decide to do it because I'd like to see that.
0: I, I, it's about to the time of year where I need to make up my mind. That if I do, I need to go all in. I don't want to go halfway. You know, if I go, I either want to be a spectator or I want to make a run at it before I, why why I think I still can make a run for it. Has Brad uh, there's, won there's it there's yet? Some good. Sorry. No, Brad's not wanting. it. Logan Hancock. There's he's. Logan's really good. Um there you know David St. John there's some there's some pretty stout guns in there for sure. The the biggest thing that, that would be in my favor is everybody's had to set out a little bit. Um but I've been out longer than any of those guys have. Um but if I can go into it and get my head right, get my head in it, you know I'd have a shot, um, I on my think. No guarantees. Uh, but it'd be it'd be kind of interesting we'll just see what the rest of the year brings
1: i get it just let me know if you would please sir if you could answer me uh the question on our south dakota project you've been with so many good duck hunters in the field now i want to i want to bring this back just to timber now because i know that tony vandemore can run it in missouri i know that he could probably do it in the timber i know i want arkansas based duck hunters who are they on the Mount Rushmore? Being in the timber and Ooh, I knew
0: you, that's where you can go.
1: And if you're going to hurt anybody's feelings, I understand it can be more than four. But I got a couple in there that I want to start off with, just asking you if they make the bill. Does John Stevens make the cut from your times in the woods with him? For him to be able to control ducks, manhandle them, break them down, and finish them in trees.
0: Yeah, he's not had to hunt the public en- enough. But but look here, he, John is so creative, such a good duck caller. He figured it out pretty quick. Uh, I've we've been together a time or two in the bottoms, and um, we go put out the most shows and let them let them spell it out for you. So yeah, you, you definitely put him on there. The first um, man,
1: the first man that I ever met with three names was introduced to me by you. Okay, Bobby Joe Willie. Bobby Joe Willie's yeah, certainly in there. Tell me why, and tell the he's world who Bobby Joe Willie is, please.
0: Man, Bobby Joe is a great guy. I, ha- I haven't talked to Bobby Joe lately, but he is a, a very cool woods hunter from northeast Arkansas. I think he was, I can't prove this, but he may have been the first person to ever do real jail time for shooting too many ducks in the state. Um, and, you know, you always, saying, you always heard people say never trust a guy with three first names. Well, you are how do you had go wrong with Bob and Joe Willie? However you turn it <laughs> around, you can't be wrong. And he's a super good guy. Uh, but he, you know, like a lot of guys that were pretty good, they might've been over the top a time or two. And of course he was commercial hunting and whatnot. And you can read about it in the Arkansas duck hunters, Almanac. He, he talks about it in there. Um, but he, really wasn't doing a lot wrong but he went back hunting in the afternoon with some guys after they hunted in the woods in the morning and they was undercover fellas and um next thing he knew had some u.s marshals come knocking on the door but when he went to court um because his livelihood was commercial duck hunting guiding duck hunters he couldn't carry a gun but he uh they let him finish duck season finish out taking hunters to the woods and then uh for long for I don't know how many years it was, he could he could steal guide and not carry a gun. Um and now he's he's by the book now, I can promise you that. Was and a he great a, guy. Hilarious, one of the funniest individuals ever.
1: I remember how funny it was. Was he in the poachers and preachers video? I don't think so. He wasn't in that one.
0: I don't I don't <laughs> think so.
1: Okay, so is there a way to pick the best you've been with? I know you're awesome. I know you're there, but I mean, is there, is there a way to pick the best? I don't
0: know how you would pick it, man. There's so many guys that are good. I get around people that, um, that you've never heard of. That's not necessarily in the public eye that, um, just really good. I hunted with a fella a few years ago. He probably wouldn't want me to mention his name. So I won't just knowing I would call him Mr. Richard. Um, and, and I always like to go with folks like that old, old timers that are kind of stuck in their ways and just watch and listen, cause you can learn something from them. Um, and everybody's got cool licks, right? You know, wh- wh- what I call lick, However you hit, hit it, you know, whap, 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 whatever that may be. Um, this old boy's from South Arkansas got some very fine woods, South Arkansas. And, uh, one of his big licks, he likes blowing the old game blowing a mondo now. But it's it's a two note lick. Really? That's it. Really? And I said, that's interesting. And he, the old duck coming around, <laughs> spun around there. I said, well that's cool. And then he blow him quacks. Um just cool. Uh, another another good fellow, i mentioned this fellow's name because you know his son. Uh you remember you remember Cade Coo, we called him Cooter. Kate mm-hmm. Parnell, his daddy, Oose. Oose is one of them, one of my all-time favorites, just to hear him blow. Um, he blew really well. He's a great duck caller. He wasn't really fancy, not fancy at all, but he's a firm believer in that C chord, that bass. And, and he uh, had, he, he, he'd tell you, he had a basic old feed call, but sounded like a duck. And he had a fast lick and a slow lick, and he could he could read ducks as good as anybody and he'd hit, hit a slow lick or a fast lick. And he almost sounded like sometimes like he was, had so much bass is off. He banging two boards together, but it worked, man. He just, he just a really cool duck caller, fun, fun guy to duck hunt with, uh, no matter, no matter if he's in the field or the woods, um, mm. man, there's a lot of good hands, you know, from back in the day, the old days, you know, uh, you got to give Kirk McCullough props, um, bounced into him in the woods a time or two um him steve Shultz, lester caps you know he's kind of the patriarch of, of the modern era of modified oak blowers from the Biome the lower white river basin um i got some recordings of lester on my phone lester was w- was really good um and one of the very best um stray good man, timber but, hunter well, I just just, he was going to be my next one. Treybo. when I was running Richstone Guide Service, Treybo and another fellow from West Tennessee named Jason Jaton, JJ, were some of my main guys. And Treybo and I would go to the woods and we'd take calls the Bo brothers. And as far as working ducks with somebody to be on the same page, um, him and I get on the same page pretty quick, you know, and understood it. Treybo was great in the woods. Um, guys nowadays oh gosh chris booker man there's just a lot of them chad you know probably more so than what we really think out there um i'm intrigued by some of the hands older than me and, and that you never heard of but you hear him pick up a duck call and you're like holy smoke man that fellow's good um and then watch him and listen you can learn something from them. i always try to try to observe if i'm a guest somewhere um i kind of go by the idea i leave my duck call in my pocket until i'm asked differently that's kind of a manner ethic around here so if you invite me to your duck hole um or duck hunting with you on your place i'll leave my duck call in my pocket till you say something to me. that's just the way you do things and, and most people reciprocate that um a lot of times because of my job uh, you know they'll say all right jimbo you call a shot you handle the call and they'll, they'll just automatically do that but i typically just kind of lay low until i'm told different but you can learn so much doing that like the fellow i talked about a few minutes ago uh, mr richard he he was one of them i just watched and listened and we shot ducks pretty quick and shot them right you know and he talked them into giving up um there's other fellas like that um marcus beard brother bo there's 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 some salty folks out there and folks that I don't know, they're very good. Um, I've never hunted with these guys, but I hear they're good. Um, you ever been around here seen a Lyle real estate sign? Heard yep. of a guy named Gar Lyle? Yep. Uh, Gar's on the board at Delta Waterfowl. He and his sons, they run a real estate business, farms, recreational properties, that kind of thing. They're old school, old blowers and getting Mondos and rocking ours now, but I've never been with them, but I understand that they're really good. Um, Another one that I got to give props to, because I about half raised him is uh, Daniel Duke. Um, He's a young guy coming up, but um, I remember Rosie would bring him home on Fridays after school and he'd stay the weekends with us and she'd take him back home on Monday mornings. And he's been most of Christmas vacation at our house, helping us with the guide service and hunting and calling and he he come around pretty quickly too um but there's, there's just it'd be hard for me to separate them out you know there're just so many really good ones
1: yeah it's 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 really interesting to know when you get involved in an industry and you get so gung ho about <clears throat> whether it's brands or pro staffing or building brands or whatever, just how much really cool stuff is out there that you don't get – to pay attention to you refuse to pay attention to cuz you got blinders on and it's just it's that that's what I learned with you a year ago standing with you in Maryland is like how much i miss you how much i miss that that knowledge in that story that ability to educate people on why this lifestyle is so important and that it's not about tv it's not about who sells the most duck calls it's about what you're saying these individuals that that enjoy the culture and they respect it they have compassion for these animals they respect the resource and they're they're just they're just human beings that enjoy being in the woods and sometimes i think a lot of us including myself have let that get away and it's a shame it sucks to know that because i'm looking back on it now it's been over a decade since the oregon waterfowl festival it's been eight years since i've been in the rich and tone shop it just sucks because there's so much that you miss that you just want to grab onto if that makes sense to you
0: no it does and I talk about that with several guys you know Heath Van Lanningham is another one you'd put in that list back in the day Heath and I was talking about this last night um, we'd hunt public ground we'd be commercial hunting him and Johnny Mafu's hunting together. who's another one that you could potentially put on your Mount Rushmore list there uh, both on the stage and in the woods but it'd be Heath and Johnny would be here Kirk and Steve would be over there I would be over here robin would be down there you know everybody kind of there was a lot of respect amongst the other guys that were commercial hunting and you would be you know you wouldn't hunt so close to them that you would hurt each other um now you may lose a bunch there or lose a bunch to us or whatever or if you get out of time you know ducks finish on you and you shoot and while you're picking them up i'm getting a bunch started and then i i shoot you know that way we're you know we're quarter to half mile three quarters mile apart up to a mile and a half but um you know that shooting sometimes will mess them up so if you ever get everybody going the timing right man you can bang bang get done pretty quick and we weren't busting up on folks or getting anybody's way so we try to pass that on and a young guy you probably know will mcbride um will's a great guy another great great caller man he's awesome um but he gets a little caught up in the stuff you're talking about he what He got tunnel vision, had the blinders on, as you said. I thought that was a good term because he's missing what it's all about. And he's, you know, finally learning it's 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 not how big the strap is at the end of the day, it's how you play the game. Sure, you want you want to smell burnt powder and you want your strap to be heavy, but you want to play the game in a way you can be proud of.
1: Yeah, I think it's awesome that you can recollect, you know, go back. I'm it's it's just like, man, just think about. The way that I look at it is just I was a baseball player from Northern Nevada that really didn't even know what it was, what it was all about. I remember going to Stuttgart my very first time in 1999 and, and just seeing the industry and how awesome it was and Max and Richington and met Fred Zink and Kelly Powers, all these guys and Tim Grounds, which is another one we lost the last couple of years. And um, it's just it's one of those things to where I'm so thankful that I got to see it, that I got to be a part of, because it. it taught me a lot, and I don't think that a lot of people understand how much that that meant to who, you know, what whatever I went on to do or whatever I went on to be be, be a part of. I think that those days in that Rich and Tone shop and practice, and even though I was terrible, I remember Butch and you, you guys would listen to my routine, and I'd go out and I'd get on the bus, the old school bus back then, which has changed now, and and draw my ticket and see all the guys that I Charles Petty, you know, they would mess with each other, and there was just a bunch of friends and a bunch of good people that got it they were playing the game and they all supported each other they were competitive but the, the the duck hunting game is special to me it's uh it's really really awesome to know that there's so many different segments of it but in the end of the day All of us are really chasing that freaking sunrise and that part of the lifestyle that exists when you see it done right, but not necessarily have to kill every single one of them. And I think that guys like Bobby Joe Willie or Pat Pitt and the guys that have been in that positions in their lives, I think they look back and they probably regret might not be the word, but they, we all, like I talked to you last time, there's maturity levels through this and they probably don't need those heavy straps anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, this is what it's all about is being able to talk and catch up and, and 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 reminisce on what i got to experience back there and Mm -hmm. without the without the mallard duck jimbo without the mallard duck i don't i don't have anything i mean that like i would have been a toilet pumper i would have been i would have had a toilet i I would still be in the construction site services game which is an awesome game to be in but because of the mallard duck i've been to i've i've been to argentina because i got to meet people that invited right. me to argentina because of the mallard duck i met john Ronqu- jim Ronquest. i met john Stevens. because of the mallard duck i got to see a lot of things like the snake river in idaho i'd have never been on the snake river and Idaho if it wasn't for a mallard duck and that's how i look at it the mallard duck is the basis that is that has given me all of these outlets and the ability or the, the the luck to build this network if that makes sense to you it
0: makes perfectly good sense you know and i wish more people look at it like that um Oh, green tops pulled a lot of people together and probably the cool thing about duck hunting, um, just as far as going hunting is the people, it puts everybody on the same page. Now, granted there's folks that can, can, can afford really nice private properties or can do different things, but you, you, you put a boat in water on the snake river and you and I, and two big time lawyers, a doctor and a rocket scientist go duck hunting. We're now all, all of a sudden on the same page, you know, on the same level, it, it kind of breaks down all the societal ups and downs that the rest of the world deals with, you know, and, and it's fun. I get to help out sometimes on some really nice places and around some folks that, um, mm-hmm. have, you know, done very well in life and talk to them just like you and me talking, you know, it's no big deal. Um, and, and you mentioned that, I felt I should have mentioned a while ago when you talk about duck hunters, there's an old hand, he's still around, uh, though Russell McCullum property, I was now owned by a fellow named Whit Stevens. But the manager there for years and years was a fellow named Buck Mayhew. If you hunted out there with John, you met Buck. he so yep. run the show. And I was doing some video stuff over there at Russell's old place, and Buck was taking me from hole to hole, talking about diff- each hole and how ducks acted. And we get talking about working ducks and talking about when to call ducks, how to call them. He's pointing about this tree and the wind here. And just another one It just, If you just be quiet and listen, you'll learn something, you know, and and he's extremely cool and old boys getting around great, still hunting all the time and and knows the game, buddy. You know, you may not like the way he calls or he blows an old ditto, uh, but he can blow it well. He blows it like he wants to blow it and he can make ducks do what he wants them to do. So if you'll just listen to people like that, you'll learn something about how to play the game or you'll put a new trick in your bag, in your toolbox somewhere along the way.
1: I love it. I think, I think that the, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. I think, I think to go along with what you said, I, I I know we're coming to an end Jimbo and I do want to do another one of these, but the, the, the green top, you've come up with some of the best names for ducks. I love them. I love how you call the wedge and the cotton top. I think there's even companies named after Jim, Jim Ronquest slogans now, Jim Jimboisms. <laughs> um, but it's also taught us a lot of lessons, it's taught us patience. It's taught us respect. It's taught us forgiveness. It's taught us thankfulness. I can go on and on what I've been taught by my association with individuals like you and being able to be around what you call green tops and mallard ducks. I think that they have done a lot for my soul. I know they've done a lot for your and your family's soul, your well being, your livelihood. And I'm just glad that I get to call you a friend. I'm glad that I get to text you and have you come on here i'm glad that i know for a fact there's going to be another time where we stand around and drink a i will have a jack daniels you'll probably have a jim beam i don't know that for sure but i look
0: you know i might have a maker's mark or jefferson's or there you um, go i had some blanton's last night that was pretty good maybe some eh taylor
1: yes sir Um, is is may h taylor is that is that texas
0: eh taylor it's
1: uh is that kentucky bourbon I just had one with an MH in it that was Texas, but yeah, I look forward to that, my man. I appreciate you coming on here. And I mean, I hope you blow in the champion champions. I'll be in your corner. I hope you win it. You got some stiff competition, but that's what that game's all about.
0: Oh yeah. There's, there's some solid hands in it. And like, like I said, we'll just have to figure out if i want to get in it, get in it, you know? Um, but one, but thank you for having me on. Also too, I'm pass on to you. I'm glad to I'm glad to see this Chad coming out and, and, not the not the flat bill earring wearing. Uh, I, I like this Chad. This Chad's cool. Um, thank you for having me on. Let me be a part of your show.
1: Well, I appreciate it, my man. And it's funny, I went through some of my old photo shoot pictures with the flat bill and how I was when I first was getting in with Bandit and all that when we started it and it's like that's like i say i went through a i went through a time and i look and people look at it and go what in the hell were you thinking (laughs) and it's hey you gotta look back on it it's a maturity process my man it's it is what it is
0: but you can always learn from your past and learn from your mistakes too so yes sir good for you partner
1: well i appreciate your time jimbo Ronquest, and uh let's do it again man i'll look for i'll uh look forward to seeing you soon hopefully
0: Let me know, man. Maybe we can cross paths this year and share a blind somewhere.
1: Uh, I would freaking do anything. I literally, I'm telling you to your face, I would do anything to have that happen.
0: Well, maybe it'll work out. I haven't figured out nothing about where I'm going or what I'm doing this fall for TV stuff. So um, I know there's a couple that I'm going to hit for sure. But um, once we start figuring it out, maybe we can cross up somewhere.
1: Yeah, share some footage or something. Yeah. I like that idea. All right, well, tell everybody cool I it. said hello. Tell Rosie and Peanut we said hello, and uh, we're thinking about y'all out here in Reno. And I'm I'm proud to know you, Jimbo. Thank you very much for being on the show.
0: Thank you, man. Be good. Be careful.
1: All right, Jimbo. Remember, that's true. Ju-
0: shoot where they're going, not where they're at.
1: And if that don't
0: light like the that- fire, you will sweat.
1: Oh, I love it. If that don't light your fire, wood, well, this has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast brought to you by Gerber Gear. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is 2 a.m. Logic. The song is called My Foul Life.